1977, Voyager 2 was launched into space to the outermost regions of the universe. It carried an invitation in all languages for alien life forms to visit our planet. Someone, somewhere, listened and accepted our invitation. Get ready. Someone is coming. Someone like no one she has ever known before. Can you clone a living organism from the hair of a dead man? We're hypothesizing a technology that's probably 100,000 years ahead of us. He has powers we cannot imagine, and the face and touch of the man she loved. Welcome to episode 15 of First Strike, the Invasion Podcast. The podcast where, here, safe in our Fire and Water Network base, Siskoid and Bass. I'm that first one. That's Siskoid. I'm Bass. We talk about that DC Comics crossover from 1988, Invasion. And every episode we attack either an issue of that series, which was actually pretty short, three issues, or a tie-in into a DC comic of the time. And there are a lot of those. We're reviewing, actually, or reading Starman number five. From the month of holiday, once again. <laughs> Starman number five. And this is the, this isn't uh, the Golden Age Starman. It's not mm -hmm. the Blue Skin Starman. It's not the uh, Prince, uh, Gavin, whatever Starman. It's not the Jack Knight Starman that became hugely popular in the 90s. Yeah. It's not Stargirl. It's the Will Payton Starman. That's the purple and, and yellow. Yes, he's the... There used to be some sort of lo sugary lollipop that was that color. Yeah. Remember that? It's like a two-tone sucker. <laughs> I do remember. Well, this two-tone sucker is called Will Payton. He was uh, created by um, Roger Stern and Tom Lyle. We just did talk about a Roger Stern comic just uh, last time. The last episode was about Power of the Atom, also written by Roger Stern. He was writing more than one book. And Tom Lyle was a bit of the of an it boy at the time. He was this okay. Starman was his breakout book. Okay. And then he went on to do a lot of things that uh, you would recognize, including, well, and the stuff you would not recognize, like uh, Impact Comics Comet. Okay, yeah. Which no. was very similar uh, in tone and look and powers, the Starman. Okay. Uh, but all the, the first three, uh, Tim Drake, Robin miniseries. Okay, which yeah. Which probably I, I read. the most reprinted of his work. He became like a hot artist for a okay. small while there. This is issue five, so very, very close to the, the start and the origin of Starman. In fact, Invasion sort of comes in and interrupts yeah, the that's, origin story. That's what I was going to say. It kind of feels like we're interrupting something. And it's pretty much the first time that happens in, in the entire... Well, in podcast what we've done. Yeah. yeah. I, I didn't really feel that Invasion was interrupting a lot, but this time I kind of feel it. Yeah. We did get elements where it, there's a lot of subplots and whatever. Yeah. This isn't really, oh, there's lots of subplots and then Invasion kicks in. It's really in the middle of what was probably a planned out arc and that Roger Stern had to fuss around with to make Invasion happen. And it's also one of those issues that we've already seen parts of because way back, uh, like episode five, I think, yep. which was a while ago, uh, the Firestorm, Firestorm number 80, in that issue, Firestorm, Power Girl, and Firehawk meet up with Starman and we don't know how he yeah. got where he got. He's just on a ship. We don't really know. He doesn't seem to know why. And that issue ends on a cliffhanger where the, that ship explodes. Yeah. And we don't know what happens to the heroes. Well, we can guess. But in this uh, this issue, Starman number five, we'll actually reveal not only how Starman got there. We'll see a little bit of you know deleted scenes from Firestorm or what else is yeah. happening as far as conversations go on the ship. And then we'll see how that all ends, that whole mission. We'll see also how Power Girl's hair is always awful. Is it? You think? Oh, well, oh. No, we'll talk about it later. Uh, and so in the first part of the show, as usual, we'll be um, doing a synopsis of the comic and then discussing it at length. And then in the second part of the show, we'll talk about Starman and our connection or lack of connection to it. <laughs> <laughs> and perhaps we'll be talking about other Starmen as well. So probably, will probably. Uh, because you, this is your first real meeting with the character? or uh, for, First meeting with uh, Will Payton. Uh, I know Jack because, uh, and I I do own the omnibus, the Starman omnibus, mm. so I I did read that like four times. And Will is in it a little bit. Yeah, yeah, he's kind of mentioned. Yeah. And there's an arc where yeah, all the Starmen appear. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, that's that's my thing with uh, Starman. 
Okay, well, well, we'll talk about it later. We'll talk about it later. Right now, uh, let's just head into the issue. It's called uh, Don't You Know There's a War On? by writer Roger Stern, penciler Tom Lyle, inker Bob Smith, letterer Bob Pinaja, colorist Juliana Ferreter, because all colorists are female. <laughs> That's right. Really, it's like every episode, we basically name a woman in this That's spot. True. It's like the one place where... Mainstream comics were letting women work. Thank God that's changed. In 88. There are exceptions, of course. And editor Robert Greenberger. Let's look at the cover by Tom Lyle. Basically, Starman, uh, flying is the main figure, but all the, the four heroes that are teaming up are flying together with Starman in the middle. Mm-hmm. What do you think of this cover? Uh, it's it's fine. It's uh, it's one of those covers where it's kind of it's kind of a close to a pinup cover where you know you only see it's not something that you'd see from inside the comic. No, because why um, are they flying away from that island? Yeah, we don't really know. Uh, there's this little thingy on. There's like a, a like a I don't know what it's called. It's like a little like thing on the side of uh, Starman's head, like. If he's kind of winking or, or something hits him? Or... Yeah, I think you often saw that in the book, I think, where it's like the glow of his eyes or it's... I'm not sure what it is because his, uh, his eyes are, are completely white. Like he has like the uh, no no pupils and stuff yeah. like that. So maybe it's that. I don't know. That thing kind of confused me. I was like, what's what's this? Why, why am I obsessed with this little thing? <laughs> yeah, why are you obsessed? I don't thing? know. It, it, it <laughs> makes me wonder what's going on. Why he looks like he's in pain. He's flying up. Did somebody shoot him? <laughs> yeah, the thing I don't like, although I don't really like the, the whole leg situation where I understand, like the perspective is a bit weird. Yeah. And probably because of the costume colors. Mm-hmm. It's always been a... Fairly horrendous costume. Eventually, they change it to black and red. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Instead, yeah. That, yeah. What I don't like is the ocean. The or the horizon is in a weird place from our perspective. Yeah. And so the ocean goes up, you know, like two thirds of the of the page, mm-hmm. and it's it's like there's blue in it, but there's this weird gray. I guess it's the it's a reflection of the clouds. Yeah. Which I'm not sure is how reflections work, and then it just. It looks like a a big rock wall is what it looks like. Yeah, to yeah, me. I get it. It cuts the the cover in half, or I, I don't like it. It kind of makes the flying kind of weird because you're thinking about the camera angle. Also, we have like this little Dutch angle because the horizon's kind of crooked. Mm-hmm. It creates a busyness that I don't necessarily enjoy. Yeah, I mean it's it's fine. It's, it's it's a fine cover. You know what? It's it's busy like too much cape busy. You know when when mm-hmm. in the '90s we had this thing where everybody had like. 15 meter capes and everybody's yes i wonder who started that <laughs> well well <laughs> everybody was on that bandwagon i mean mm-hmm. spider-man had like tons of rope when he was yeah just I, I wonder his... who started that too <laughs> i wonder if the same person perhaps so yeah everybody had like tons of and it, it kind of looks like that or over rendering of lines and faces and it was it was very busy yeah todd mcfarland that's who i mean yeah yeah we're talking about mcfarland <laughs> Yeah, okay, well, let's look inside the, the book. Uh, first thing, though, I didn't really know Will. I was going to call him Bill. I, I, I didn't really know Many Will. Many Williams are Bills. <laughs> I didn't really know Will, so uh, I kind of discovered his powers on the first page. Yeah, I think that that's like, the, I had that in my notes as well. Roger Stern tells us, yeah. well, why don't you read that those little paragraphs for people who might not know Will Payton, which is, in 2016, quite possible. Will Payton was struck by an energy beam from an out-of-control satellite. When he awoke a month later, he had changed. He had become stronger, tougher. He could fly, radiate blinding light and searing heat. And to his amazement, Will found that he could alter the shape and color of his features. (laughs) I see you're perplexed. Yeah. Well, I don't get I don't get the the maybe because I've played too many video games, RPGs and stuff like that, but it, it seems like it's like all over the place. I get the searing heat and I get the flying cuz mm-hmm. that's superhero stuff and everybody shoots something from their eyes or hands or mouth or I don't know. It seems like an atypical power. But the last one the, the, the changing the shape and the yeah. the color of his But that's I, that's why he's colored gold. Oh, is it? He he's gold. Yeah, he's got a different because in his personal life, Will Payton, it's like a he's like a magic secret identity because he has normal features. He's not quite so thick bodied okay. and thick faced. So when he turns into Starman, he, uh, he broadens up. his face. 
Okay. He gives himself a more muscular physique. He changes his like the, the blank eyes, but also the golden skin. Yeah, okay. And he uh, quite famously got Superman out of trouble once by looking by, like him. By, by yeah, by turning into Superman. It's like it's kind of hard to see all of that happening. Uh, I'm looking at some ah, pages, see? and yeah, he has see? that. I think it's because it's shining. I think he's shining. That's why that happens. But it's kind of hard to see because uh, you know the the gold color is very close to the Caucasian flesh color. Although when you see him and uh, Firehawk side by side, her uh, skin color. Yeah, she's closer. got also yeah. a golden skin color. Yeah, so it's closer to that. Yeah. Well, there you go. Mystery eluded. That doesn't yeah. help for Power Girl's hair, though. Okay. Yeah, he's very shiny. He's, yeah, that's it. He's shiny, but it's usually coming coming out of the eye, so I think it's like a weird... Yeah, it's always around the eyes. I think it's like star energy coming off of this. Maybe his eyes... Yeah, maybe he's uh, uh, he's glowing. Maybe the eyes are glowing, maybe? Yeah, I don't know. I think so. I think that's okay. supposed to kind of be it, because while it's not revealed quite yet, it's just about to be, Will Payton is the new star man. He's, he's now a living star, is basically okay. what his powers are all about. He's recently been captured by a group of metahumans called the Power Elite, Super soldiers who want to retrieve those energies for themselves since the satellite was part of their program. Then the invasion struck. The, the power elite muse about going to Australia and kicking alien butt, but the paranoid project scientists don't want their secret soldiers out in the public eye and claim the invasion might be a Soviet hoax to get the U.S. to reveal their, their super weapons or something. But one of these scientists, and in fact the one that, that cries foul, uh, is a Durlan spy. I know. When he scans Will, he discovers he doesn't register as metahuman, but rather as a living star. That's where it starts. His Dominion Masters ask to pick Starman up so they can examine him, and he smuggles the hero out of the facility and gets him aboard a Kun transport. He's captured before he can escape as well. Now, Will wakes up inside a tube and defeats the Kund pilot, and that's when we rejoin the events of Firestorm number 80, with the Nuclear Man, Firehawk, and Power Girl entering the ship and flying it to the South Pacific. Stern doesn't repeat all those conversations, but highlights other moments like Starman feeling excited and insecure at working with other superheroes for the first time, and his calling his sister in Phoenix to tell her he's okay. Then the ship is destroyed over the heads of the modern-day Easy Company, and cliffhanger resolved, the heroes fly out safe and sound. Pretty simple. A battle ensues in which the Kund force is defeated with minimal casualties, though Firehawk is a bit merciless for Starman's tastes. Starman frees the captured Adam Strange, who he recognizes from university lectures. Okay. And <laughs> Strange calls the Justice League to give his intel and get a sit rep. Then we learn that the South Pacific Theater has been stabilized, mostly thanks to the Justice League, yeah. and that they've all, they're all invited to join the Hero Force assembling under Captain Adam's banner. Starman's not sure he should join, but Power Girl convinces him to, to be continued in Invasion Number 2, like most of these. Yeah. So, let's look at each part, perhaps. Yeah. B the before Firestorm Number 80. There's a lot of stuff going on, because I had no idea about the Power Elite. I kind of discovered everybody, but, you know, having to explain how they all came about, kind of... It, it, it was pretty busy. There was yeah. a lot of information coming in. I think it's in. nice that Roger Stern gave us a yeah. little... Uh, uh, you know, started off with captions that told us who, who Starman was. Yeah. So that new readers would... You know, because, like, the fifth issue is a bit early to recap things. Oh, it's very... Yeah. Although, back in the 80s, 70s, 80s, they did that all the time. Every issue might have been your first issue, so there was always a little recap. In this case, the recap goes back right to number one, because Starman, or Will Payton, went out into the desert on a hike and then got hit by this beam and woke up a month later. And he was Starman. And so he's discovering his power. He's really the hero that... Uh, you know, it's like the rookie hero who's discovering the DC Universe for the first time. There's a lot kind of, of rookie heroes in this story. In the invasion? Yeah. You know, uh, there's this new beginning for uh, Firestorm, where he's, you know, independent from Ronnie and uh, Dr. Stein. Power Girl's kind of just starting up also. There's a lot of rookies uh, yeah, I think running around. It makes sense. We're like well, three, it was it was just after yeah. We're two years away yeah. from crisis, and so a lot of people got restarts. Yeah, new origins and stuff like that. So basically, everybody's new. Yeah, so, and yeah. Starman in this, in this case is very new, where he's not a legacy hero. Yeah, uh, he's just using the, a name that's been used before, but yeah. he has no apparent connection to the Golden Age Starman or any of the Starmen that came before. And to his dismay, he's outed. At, well, he doesn't know yet. We know. But this is going to be very dismaying for him later on. We discover that he's not a metahuman. He's a human that's been transformed into something else. 
So the metahumans that the dominators want do not include aliens like Superman, you know, do not include yeah. technology heroes or yeah. but it does not include magic or uh, right. elementals. It's essentially people with super, inborn superpowers. Yeah. Uh, their metagene's been activated. In Starman's case, he's not even human anymore, and he doesn't know it. He's a star. But he will discover it uh, within two issues of this. Like, after Invasion, the next story over is him finding out. Yeah, that's kind of exciting, though, because we already know. Yeah. We know something, and we're probably just waiting for him to discover it. Yeah. So that's kind of exciting. That's and cool. luckily enough, he won't be. We won't discover it because he's been vivisected by the Dominators or or Upsion here. There's a you know the, yeah. the Psions are very good vivisectors. That's what they do. <laughs> and they have a connection to the powers of Starfire, so very close to what Starman does, you know, yeah. like generate that kind of star power. Exactly. So it's interesting that the Upsion gets a. A cameo here, or like a little a line, because we don't see a lot of these aliens. It's, no, we we hear them. We we hear about them. Uh, well, not quite a bit. Once in a while, yeah, we kind of know they're the still there. The invasion book had them, but yeah. we don't see them in the crossover so much. They're not taking really an active role. Yeah. So it's nice to see that they are involved. But these people who are testing basically Starman, they have them strapped up on an X shaped thing. I mean, this looks like torture. I don't know what they're doing to them, but. He's oh just my. well, actually, he's well, yeah, no, but he's been beaten up, is why he looks well, like that. Yeah, in the previous issues, and they've put a, a device on his on his head that keeps him docile, that keeps him asleep. That's the thing that's going to malfunction so inside the the ship, and then wakes up to Kund. Basically, they're the Kund pilot. They're testing him and they're shooting him with stuff while he's sleeping. This this is all types of cruel. He's, <laughs> not, all, he's not human. <laughs> it's, it's all types of wrong. Not that they know. know that. But yeah, first part is kind of busy, but we get through it. You know, it's it's okay. It's We get a lot of backstory. I'm really wondering if that Durlin spy who g- does get captured, if that's going to play out in, in later issues or later stories. Well, that was one of those uh, plot points that I went, oh, wow, this is cool. Because that's what the Durlins are supposed to do, right? They're shapeshifters. They're supposed to look like, you know, anything they want. So, yeah, that's a great plant. And if you like bad haircuts, oh, he's man. got the worst. Oh, everybody's got a mohawk or a bad haircut in this. There's in this a lot thing. of mullets. Mullets, mohawks, and and ugh. <laughs> and I don't know what. I don't know why they hate Power Girl, but they are trying to make her ugly. Oh my God! Everywhere. Anyways, we'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> Second part where uh, action starts, really. Uh, they're trying to smuggle uh, Starman out of the complex. Uh, we see how not so tough the Durlins are. Because he gets basically shot by a cop or a, uh, not a cop, but a, a security guard. Security guard, yeah. Mercenary guy. So, yeah, the Durlin guy, well, he gets, he gets done pretty quick. But, but see, that's again, that goes with our theory that Chameleon Boy is an ultimate evolution yeah. hero. Of those powers, but the real Durlins are, you know, basically specialists. Yeah. And this guy's an infiltr- infiltrator. He's not going to be turning into a uh, some sort of alien creature. Exactly. The guys that turn into alien creatures are probably very poor at infiltrating. Yes. Yeah. Is, is what we noticed in yeah. the in the Cuban issues of this crossover. Yeah, we did talk about that because I I do think that Chameleon Boy is also tougher and kind of if you you take Aquaman versus like uh, just another Atlantean. Yeah. He, like, Chameleon Boy would be, like, a Aquaman type, you know, instead of just Yeah, he's a, a hero version. And yeah. he's, always, he's also, like, a thousand years yeah, more well, evolved. Yeah, maybe, maybe. He, he has scales or something after a while. I don't know. Uh, but, yeah. Uh, but the Kund is uh, is kind of cool. Uh, this is the one guy who looks good in a mohawk. <laughs> the Kund? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I, I kind of always like to see the Kunds without their... We call them Kunds, by the way. I know some people say Khan or... Kun, whatever. Whatever. But I like to see them without the whole gear, without the hat or the, the face thing, because we can see their faces. And they, they look mean. I like to see them, because they look mean. But, I mean, he gets uh, he gets beat up pretty good by, uh, by Starman there. Yeah, he wasn't told that Starman had, like, super strength or whatever, so uh, he underestimates his opponent. And, of course, you know, your garden variety Kund is no match for a superhero no. who can actually probably go toe-to-toe with Superman. Exactly. So he gets beaten up quickly, and then, finally, the other heroes arrive. Firestorm, who's not as awkward in this one. We don't see a lot of interaction with him. I think mm-hmm. that's all in the other... I mean, in the other one, uh, in his own book, he was creepy as hell. He yeah. was kind of a kind of stalkery. Yeah. 
inappropriate. Yeah. And some of that was because of Tom Greinberg's art. Uh, we spent quite a lot of times talking about yeah, how we, messy the art was. It was very messy. How weird the, the hair was. Yeah. How, you know, Power Girl and the other guys have fire hair, but, <laughs> but Power Girl's hair was different lengths. You know what? Power Girl's hair is a problem. Even in this? Everywhere. This is not good. She looks like... Uh, well, she's got a female mullet. She has a female mullet, which should not be even considered as this a is very very 80s it's it's very very ugly i don't know i don't know why or how <laughs> i think it's said, much better than the grindberg one it's not very much better i it, it's distracting me from you know what when but she's got the same haircut starman has really except hers is longer yeah but uh he was also a problem in the firestorm book in the firestorm book starman looked like he had really long hair he was in a hairband yeah. here it's just a little bit longer in he's, the back he's, yeah he's just a bit shaggy now he looks like he's like I sort know. of remember having that haircut more yeah, or less yeah you, you probably had when i was bit. um yeah. when i you know when i existed in 1988 <laughs> <laughs> but i don't know it looks like star, like like power girl's hair i mean it looks like she really has this I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. It looks like she has this slow. It's like ah, oh, it's it's really a female mullet, but everything seems to be shooting out from behind her ears. I really don't. It's not even party in the back and and business in the front. It's like just ugliness all over. <laughs> I just hate it. I just hate it because I love Power Girl. I love her. <laughs> and and this is not. But but you know what? Compared to uh, the messy art from uh, the Firestorm issue. Uh, in this one, like the camera angles, I like to call them camera angles. They're clean. We know where everybody is in the ship. And, you know, the dimensions of the ship seem more regular, I guess. Yeah. It feels like they're in a ship. The other one felt like they were, like, in a living room. So I yeah, kind of like Sometimes it was big. Sometimes. And, and they were always chaining places. Yeah. Here, uh, instead of all the creepy Firestorm stuff, we get something a little sweeter, I think. Yeah. Power Girl and Starman. Uh, and he goes, well, you know how it is. I I want to warn my family that everything's fine because he's been missing again. Yeah. Uh, so he tells his sister just that. And then when he what he shares with Power Girl is that idea. That, you know, you know how it is. And she doesn't know what how it is because she's an orphan. It's like bah, bah. Yeah. we remember this conver. We talked about this conversation. We saw that like the tail end of it mm -hmm. in the other book. So there is some some crossover here. Yeah, but I I do agree. This is more. Uh... This is much sweeter and kind of bondy. You know, they're they're bonding. They're trying to get to know each other. Right. And, and in a way that Firestorm cannot bond with anyone, which was well, kind of the yeah. drama of the the other issue. Yeah. Although I don't like Power Girl's hair, I kind of like Firehawk in this one. It, she doesn't feel like all over the place. Like the hair is not all over the place. It's kind of you know contained to her head. Yeah. So I kind of like it better this one. For sure, Tom Lyle has a much cleaner, yeah, classic yeah. style than. Grindberg, which was like a sort of out-of-control Neil Adams. Uh, then the ship blows up, yeah. or is kind of deconstructed. It's kind of an interesting... It kind of weirdly blows up, I do agree. They don't show us the explosion so much as the ship disassembling. Yeah. With the explosion in the background. It's, it's a strange way to do it. Now, I'm going to call bogus on the escape. So we see a little bit of Easy Company, which I think was kind of... Yeah, I, I kind of liked it. Yeah, I, I like this, but but I at the same time kind of wasted. Yeah. I mean, you, well, know, you it, set up a whole new Easy Company, and at the end of the day, I mean, it's just giving them a name. Yeah. Uh, but they do, you know, it's the same humans, rah, 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 we're not going to let the superheroes handle it alone. They jump into the action. They're the ones who get killed mm -hmm. if somebody's going to be killed. No, I call, bo I, I call a bull on the... Escape. Yeah. Because the ship blows up. These four heroes you know, make a point of... They fly overhead. Okay, they're fine. And then they make a point of showing them thinking that they flew out at the last minute. Yeah, that's not... Why, why do you even need that? You, you don't have to. You're either... Like, Firestorm can phase through matter. Yeah. And probably explosions. Starman and Power Girl are indestructible. Yeah, they can't be hurt. And that. Firehawk can project a, a heat aura, basically, that would have melted anything or she would have survived the explosion. I mean, the whole cliffhanger was ridiculous in the first place. And then having like the, some sort of these contortions to, to make us believe, oh, that this is how they, they got out? Yeah, no. I kind of I, I felt cheated. I mean, once you have a cliffhanger, it has to have like this resolution that kind of equals the cliffhanger, right? They present to you a burger. You kind of need to take a big bite and, you know, 
be satisfied with that burger. And this burger was not satisfied. This burger happened in between panels, first off. We don't even see them doing it. And I would have loved to see... Actually, what I would have liked to see is that thing explodes. And, okay, let's make it an anticlimax, but a fun one. Where it explodes, and they're just, you know, floating in the... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just floating in inside the explosion going, oh, crap. Somebody who's still with the steering wheel in their hand. Yeah, that's of, it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That would have been funny. But they didn't really ca- they didn't really uh cash in on, you know, this whole thing and they could have they could have I think art-wise or fun-wise the whole e-company or easy company it could have had like two panels and we could have seen more of the superheroes this could have been like this one jokey type thing where they, you know, they could all get together one day and say, you remember when that ship blew up and we were all just hanging there with, I had the steering wheel in my hand and, and he was taking a bite of sandwich, but the sandwich wasn't there anymore. And, yeah, you know, and you could have used Easy Company as observers going, crap. Yeah. And then, oh, they're fine. Yeah. Eh, decisions. Eh, it happens. So then there's a big fight. I glossed over it quickly in the um, in the synopsis because... It's, I don't do play-by-plays. Yeah. Uh, but it does show Firehawk being ruthless. Yeah. You She's know. frying coons, man. <laughs> it's, like a, it's like a cookout. <laughs> She's just going at her. While Starman is intimidating coons, he, he makes one basically cry uncle, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> so he's got a different style. Yeah. And, you know, uh, Power Girl's being Power Girl. I mean... Things are just rebounding off her, and you know, bullets can't hurt her. Yeah, she's, she's throwing rocks. Yeah, uh, and but for the most part, these guys aren't. I think Firehawk is much more prominent than the other two. Yeah, and then Starman goes up against. He gets shot, and it stings. So he goes after the big gun that the Kuns have, and that break makes him break into the bunker. And then he sees Adam Strange. Yeah, and this is the weird bit I think where he um, recognizes him from university lectures. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure glad Adam Strange went to talk to his university. Is there a university to go to in Phoenix? I well probably U of Phoenix. Just, it's, well, you know, <laughs> University of Phoenix is <laughs> I don't online, know. so that's my joke. But <laughs> I, I didn't even know. I just said something. <laughs> but yeah, I think Roger Stern sort of tries to make Starman. Like the problem is Starman doesn't know anyone or anything yeah, he's in, a rookie, the, yeah. in the super universe. But he'd always find a way to make him actually know the person because you can't just go through all the introductions. So in the first uh, instance, he recognized Firestorm and Power Girl from the news. Yeah. But not Firehawk. Okay. That's fine. And now he recognizes Adam Strange even though he's not in costume or anything. So they have actually been in the same room together. Yeah. Calls him Professor Strange. Professor Strange? What you doing here? Yeah. <laughs> it's like seeing like a university prof in a <laughs> alien invasion setting. Professor Delaney, what are you doing here? <laughs> shout out to <laughs> shout out to Dr. Delaney. Uh, <laughs> so it's kind of a I thought that was like, mm, okay, whatever. He needs to recognize yeah. him, I suppose, to give the reader a shot at who who is this? Well, the, he could have not recognized him because Adam Strange was, you know, tied up to a wall, being probably beat up by this very. Now, I large don't need person. an excuse to rescue the guy that's tied exactly. up inside the alien bunker. I'm a superhero. I'm going to rescue this guy. I just broke into a bunker, and you know, so I don't need to know him to rescue him. And then he could, you know. Just bring him outside and somebody else recognizes him. But that's not what happens. Kind of kind of weird. We do get a little bit of a cameo from the Justice League after that. Well, we see explosions. From far away, and I think that's supposed to be the fighting from the JLI issue. Yeah. More or less. And, um, and then there's the whole, okay, we're all meeting up again. And Power Girl has to convince Starman that he's one of us and yeah. whatever. But it's also, check out the face that Adam Strange makes... Yeah, he's he's looking like he saw Power Girl's hair and couldn't believe it either. <laughs> well, it looks like he's winking at the idea that Power Girl and Starman might be, you know, that she's seducing him. Into oh coming. yeah, yeah. Well, you can you can imagine that probably you know, a lot she's of guys using are. the boob window, which is just a boob cleavage at this point. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to sort of get Starman's compliance. See, too much uh, emphasis on the cleavage, not enough on the hair. They should just fix that hair. I've said it enough. Maybe in the next decade. Hopefully. The 80s were a dark place. For everybody's hair, I think. (laughs) Probably. (laughs) Everybody got bad hair. Probably. So I I wondered, I said, wait a minute, did they become an item? Did they? Because Power Girl 
frequently guest starred in a Starman. Oh, really? So from these events, they eventually made her show up every so often. Okay. Uh, like she's like like the good friend. So was there a romantic entanglement there? And I don't think there was. I I kind of looked through my collection. None that we know of. Well, there, there was never a romantic thing. He actually ended up with Kitty Faulkner, who was Rampage. Another golden-skinned yeah. character uh, from the Superman comics. Yeah. Sort of a hulking yeah, be, scientist yeah. lady. She became like this rampaging... Right. And eventually had control over it. And yeah. eventually lost kind, it. Kind of close to the, the Legionnaire... Uh, what was her name? Monst- not Monster. Monstrous? Monstrous? Kind of like that without the monstrous look. She just looked like a bigger lady. Like It's like an orange She-Hulk yeah. kind of thing. Orange She-Hulk. Orange Shield, and <laughs> so he ended up with her, and had like so really Power Girl is just a good friend and somebody that was like the first superhero he ever bonded with. That's really what I think. Here. I think they're probably gonna end up together later. If anybody's seen uh, When Harry Met Sally, that's how it happens. Unless Will Payton dies, which he did. <laughs> <laughs> well, that kind of blew my brain. <laughs> yeah, never quite happened. Uh, so what did you think of the art in well, when once we were looking at the inside, except for that the Power Girl hair? You know, a, a lot of stuff is looking very good and very clean. Uh, the action scenes are kind of weird. I don't know if it's, if it's the angles or how they want the body to, to, to move, but sometimes people seem like they have like these really small arms or small feet and i don't think it's it's i think it's supposed to be like a perspective thing but i don't really so so most of the time everything's nice except for the action scenes action scenes like i don't know it looks like starman's suit is all crooked i don't know if he's contorted and he's twisting his upper body and and i don't know and i I don't think it's a great costume for for movement because the like it's it's asymmetrical yeah the the, also the the sleeves and the leggings are I've, you know, cut from yellow to purple at different places. It's very... And it's not clear cut because one one side is like a boot length and the other one is like a go-go booth half thigh yeah. length. One side of his arms, like it looks like a long glove. And then that was popular side. in the era. Look at Firehawk well, next to him because yeah. the same thing happens with Firehawk. She's yeah. got an asymmetrical costume with orange leg and a blue leg that still has an orange boot and the way the bird motif goes over. And I mean, Firehog, the whole, the whole thing with the suit being the same color of her, as her flesh. Kind of, kind of weird. That's, that's the fashion of the day. Well, that, you know what? That I don't mind because asymmetrical can be kind of cool and, and it can work. I mean, uh, Firestorm is a great example of how it can work. Well, he's got an asymmetrical chest emblem, yeah. but he is a symmetrical character otherwise. Yeah. It's when they went like they went too far that way. I think it looks too fashiony. Yeah. Well, you kind of have to when you're designing superheroes, I guess. You kind of have to go. Well, it looks more fashion than iconic. Oh yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. So, and a lot of these characters would change costumes later or started out with different costumes. Firehawk's mm-hmm. original costume, which was symmetrical. Yeah. And then she switched over to that one like recently after that. We were talking about a rookie hero. Yeah. We also are dealing with a rookie comic artist, and he okay. would grow into his his own. And by the time he's doing Robin and he's creating Stephanie Brown, for example, because yeah, uh, I remember the Robin run very well. And, yeah. And by that time, you yeah, know, he he will have perfected his work and probably gotten better inkers for yeah. him uh, as well, possibly that like, better matches. Anyway, it's been a long way to getting a resolution to the Firestorm issue. Mm-hmm. I think it's uh, the way we're covering these comics is in the order they were published yeah. and that we were told to, to read them from the back of Invasion Number 1. That's very uh, that's our reference. Yeah. So, the back of the other comic. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so basically, it meant that uh, if Firestorm came out like the first week of that month and Starman came out probably the third or fourth week, then there, this is why there's this long gap and I hope... The Firestorm issue isn't too far back in your own minds. Well, I have to look back at it myself. And and it's all going on at the same time. That we still get that though from uh, because we all feel this is right after this is all come. They're all going on right after the first invasion comic. Yeah, all these comics are basically simultaneous. Yeah, Uh, and sometimes you see a little bit before and sometimes a little bit after, but they're all happening on that those first few days. And I do I do enjoy that. I enjoy that little thing, like seeing. The explosions from the fight from with the JLA, uh, well, uh, JLI. It reminds me that this is not in a chronological order, but it's all going on at the same time. 
So I really enjoy these little things because it, it brings me back to, oh, yeah, this is just happening all at the same time. Right. And They're building a, like a complete picture yeah. over the entire crossover that month. Yeah. And then we'll, we'll, after Invision number two, we'll be doing that again for, for well, the next I, one. I really enjoy that because really, it's, it's my first time reading Invasion. I'm just discovering it. And I really enjoy this painting, this large picture with everything around it. So I, I think it's kind of cool. And, and it always works. It, for me, it always works, and up till now, in every issue I've read, this little thing always works. It always brings me back to this is all going on at the same time. We'll take a small break. Small break. For a promo for another fine podcast, and then when we, we come back, we'll talk about Starman and I guess the Starman legacy. Stick around. overheard on the Who's Who podcast being said by the irredeemable shag for me because you know she's a crazy hot raging woman and now I can't not see that but if you want more on her check out the From Crisis to Crisis podcast and also someone for the love of God start a Will Payton blog please um, just saying alright alright shag you don't have to beg oh, well, that could be nice anyways here you go shag just for you monthly the Starman Adventure Hour Wait a minute. Uh, I like Starman and all, but I don't know if I can talk for an entire hour about Will Payton. Huh, I know. I'll include another great 80s character I love. Mark Shaw, Manhunter. The Starman Manhunter Adventure Hour. Available monthly on iTunes and at starman-manhunter.headspeaks.com Also part of the Headcast Network. Come join the fun. So Starman as a whole, mm -hmm. connection to Starman. So for you, Starman begins with Jack Knight? Actually, no. Okay. Uh, I start off with Starman number one. I love these old comic books from the Justice Society. I have all these, you know, these compilations from the old crises and stuff like that. And I always liked these older classic superheroes. First time I ever saw Starman was in an old... All-Star Squadron? Yeah, me too. It was that issue where uh, they capture Uncle Sam, and they think Uncle Sam's a spy, but I think... I, I didn't read everything. This was like a single issue that was given to me from somebody I didn't really know. It felt like it was part of a bigger thing, a bigger crisis, and uh, that's where I discovered, like, Doll Man and Hour Man and all these guys. And Starman was in there, and he he had... Not this Starman. Uh, Star Ted Man. Knight. Ted Knight. Not to be confused with the... Um... Mary Tyler Moore show. Well, uh, no. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Ted Knight was uh, was in there and he was like a leader, the the leader of... Uh, I, I don't remember though at that time if he was... Well, he was in the, in the Justice Society. So um, I'm thinking he was the leader of the Justice Society at that time. So that's my first contact with Starman. So uh, I know him from there and the Star Rod and everything. And I love the Star Rod. It kind of looked weird and he had these kind of similar powers to Green Lantern but not really no. he could shoot beams but also well, originally wasn't I think originally was the gravity rod was it the gravity rod I think it was gravity rod and then eventually became the star rod became a, became a star well, rod see that's what happens and after a while uh, we have this great comic book store uh, around here and and so I was looking for some uh, superhero comics but you know something kind of different and uh, the guy over there uh, Remy said, uh, "You should you should really look at the, the Starman." Okay. It's okay if we shout, give a shout out to the Comic the Hunter. Hunter in Moncton. Oh, they're awesome. They're very they're great awesome. and good friends. And um, and stop stealing from them, whoever you are. Yeah, yeah, they've been. Oh, that, that sucks. Yeah, a lot of people have uh, been burgled twice now. Twice, it's incredible. Ugh. But uh, Remy and Rene over there, they're great guys and brothers. Mm -hmm. And uh, and 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 they they told me you should check out the Starman Omnibus. And basically, they handed one to me, and he said, if you don't like it, just bring it back. I'll buy it back from. Him. And I just loved it. Read it like four times. I loved like how it when Jack picks up the mantle from his uh, brother. Uh, it, it was his brother, right? Uh, yeah. Because he was Starman number... From his father, really, but from his brother. His who, brother tried to be well, Starman. Well, yeah, he got and, shot. And, yeah. You know, sort good. of a retcon kind of character. But I also liked how they brought back the Shade, which was a Earth 2, this weird kind of super villain. 
But in this thing, he was like super powerful and like he should be. Yeah. And he's a weird demon. Yeah, yeah. And I really loved that. So I dug all of that. And uh, being a Flash fan, you know, I, I read all these Earth 2 things. And so that's that's my first contact with with Starman. And, and uh, this one, uh, Purple and Yellow, Will. I didn't know him at all. This is my first time with Will. That sounded kind of not right right there. The series, the Starman series, the first by that name. Really? Yeah, yeah the first by Yeah, we, probably. Yeah, because the other Starman, there have been many. Uh, yeah. But they tried a Starman, uh, like I said earlier, the blue-skinned one, the mm-hmm. Prince Gavin one. Uh, they were in... Team uh, books. Or in... Actually, were in, like, sort of uh, one-off, first-issue special and stuff like that. So, uh, Starman is... This series is, like, the first one called Starman, if I'm not mistaken. And it lasted 45 issues. Oh, between that's, that's good. Yeah, between 1988 and 1992. Uh, it was the brainchild of Roger Stern. And um, when he left... I read the whole thing. But when he left around issue 27 or so, uh, Tom Lyle had left at 25. He was replaced by Len Straczewski, who was not a great replacement. I mean, Straczewski has done a lot of... Um, he's, he's worked on JSA, among other things. But he's a bit of a meat and potatoes kind of comics writer it's it's superhero action and not none of it is particularly memorable to me today and this was true of this series as well so even so it lasted another 20 issues or so right yeah that's what i was going to say it still lasted another two years yeah so the character was fairly popular Mm -hmm. Uh, i remember there's an issue of justice league america or europe or whatever who where he's considered for membership and um, refuses, he, he feels badly treated by the uh, the Assembly of Heroes. Of course, <laughs> it's the comedy Justice League. Uh, and so he doesn't make the team, doesn't make the cut, or he refuses the cut. So he never really grew from his series. At the okay. end of the series, he's put up against Eclipso, who claims to have been the one that pushed the satellite that gave him his powers, sort of to create, eventually create a hero that was like a star that he could harness the powers of uh, something like that. And um, the series doesn't end with Starman's death, but his next fight with Eclipso does. Okay. He, he basically sacrifices himself to defeat Eclipso. Hmm. And then he was dead. But the, the Jack Knight series brought him back and said, well, no, he's alive and captured somewhere. And he does make an appearance yeah. uh, in that comic. So the book was mostly, you know, kind of from the start, it was about a young hero. He's like the new Firestorm. Yeah. A young hero making his way in the DC universe, learning the ropes. But it was also a book that was a lot of villain of the week yeah. kind of thing. So if, you're, if your superhero is going up against characters like Bolt a lot of the time, like cookie cutter villains like yeah. that, instead of building a, a good stable of villains, that kind of series. Villains if, are if hard, though. Villains yeah. are hard. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's what I, was, I would call a fresh eyes book. It's like through... Our main character, we're seeing the life of the superhero okay. for the first time. So we identify with him, not with his Jimmy Olsen. And he's he's not a teenager, which is no, he's, he's college age. Because you know the the new superhero teenager, the 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 Spider Man concept, which yeah. has been done with uh, Invincible also, and you know a couple of them, it, you kind of kind of get tired of it, and, especially when and you're not what, a teen. And that's what Firestorm was, and, and that's fine. But you know when you're a grown. When you're a grown ass man, you, you want you want to read grown ass man comics. Well, in 1988, I was a grown ass 17 year old, yeah, so well, yeah. um, and reading you know all sorts. But um, but yeah, so Will Payton was a character you identified with, a character you liked. He was fundamentally sympathetic. Mm-hmm. But when he shuffled off to Limbo, nobody really missed him. I don't think. And then within a couple of years, you had the what became a really big hit. For James Robinson with that Starman series, yeah. the Jack Knight series, that really went back to the to the golden age. Mm-hmm. Looked at superheroes from a really odd angle. Yeah, well, Jack's angle is kind of odd. He's, He's not really a superhero. He doesn't no. consider himself a superhero. He never even thought of himself being able to walk into those shoes because he wasn't. You know, he's like the second guy, maybe, and he kind of picks up the mantle instead of having it handed over to him. You know, he grabs it. And he uses it, and he kind of, in all that series, he kind of feel like he's not, he doesn't really want to continue as a superhero. He just kind of grows into it, and it, it becomes something that he has to do instead of something he wants to do. I think, yeah, the brilliance of that series was that he had a store, a nostalgia mm-hmm. store uh, for collectors of all sorts of things, which is what superhero comics fans usually are, it's, collectors it's, of yeah. things. 
So there's an immediate identification there. But when I think about the post-crisis DC Universe and what we lost when it New 52, basically, that whole run, that long run of books, is the idea of a legacy and legacy heroes. And when I think about legacy heroes that reach out, you know, way back to the, the Golden Age, to the Silver Age, to now, the, the two superheroes that come to mind are the Flash, obviously. Yeah. That's, that's the prototypical, that's the first legacy mm-hmm. book. The, the hero that dies uh, at the end of Crisis is, you know, someone takes his place. And he really was inspired by another before him, which was already set up. But Wally West, though he feels overwhelmed at first, he sees it as his responsibility. Yeah. Whereas Jack Knight, who also has a legacy going back to the, the Golden Age... Doesn't really want to do it. Doesn't wear the costume. Doesn't wear the costume. Adapts the technology. And uh, and it's a very different legacy because his father is there, is a character in the story. Yeah. He's an old man now, and they they have a difficult relationship. Yeah. And it's much more Batman Beyond in, in that sense. Where it really he, is, The actually. mentor, the older mentor is really kind of harsh. But Jack himself is is not someone who wants to be a superhero, never thought of going into the family business, sort of <laughs> rejects it, and is forced into it by events, and then nevertheless still remains himself and doesn't really give in to the superhero tropes. Yeah. So it's it's an amazing series. It's like it's one of those series that's really kind of mature readers. Yeah. Without actually having that label. Well, it's one of those rare superhero stories that really doesn't I don't think it appeals to kids. It touches, you know, grown kids aren't people. nostalgic yet. Kids aren't nostalgic, but kids don't, they don't have the same, Jack's relationships were difficult. All of them. Uh, when you grow up, your relationships with your parents, it's, you know, it's, it's, sometimes it's fine, but sometimes it gets weird. And I think a lot of people, especially if you're, you know, like a comic book geek or something like that, you can quickly relate to that. Cause, uh, you know, a lot of our dads weren't comic book geeks. They probably read a couple of them, but they probably liked sports a lot better than, you know, so the, my dad was a comic book geek. Yeah, well, but we then all, he didn't didn't transmit it really. Well, yeah, <laughs> mine wasn't really, but transmitted nicely. Okay, but you know, it, but in my own relationship, I kind of feel that I should have played baseball more. So I think Jack's relationships are all hard, and and I mean, it's very mature. His brother gets shot, and you know, trying to pick up the mantle of of the Starman, and it's, it's it's. So why would you go into that business? Why? why? It's already cost me. Our yeah. relationship, the, the, the familial relationship, it's already cost me a brother. Mm-hmm. You know, why would I do this? So it's, it's like an anti, I'm not, it's not an anti-hero book. It's an no. anti-superhero book. It is. And because of that, it's, it was fresh and interesting. Yeah. And in some ways, James Robinson never did anything as good. I don't think so. It's I've read some really... of his stuff afterwards and, and it was always, that was really brilliant. That was great. And, and he's still good. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. It's just that that story was awesome. Phenomenal. It was, it was great. That's all I got. That's all I got. So poor Will Payton is a bit of the, because even after Jack, we get Stargirl. Yeah. Yeah. Which is kind of weird because she's like the combination of two old type heroes. I mean, there was a uh, Star Spangled Kid and Stripesy. She started off with uh, Stripe, which was like her dad robot or dad android or dad in a suit. I don't remember what it was. I just remember that Star Spangled Kid was back and was this young girl and I thought she was awesome. And then Jack basically gave her the rod, the star rod or gravity rod or... I think it was a star rod by then. Yeah, cosmic so. rod? Was it a cosmic, cosmic rod? Cosmic rod. <laughs> I thought cosmic was trademarked by, uh, by Marvel though oh. after a while. Cosmic Rod. So even that legacy continues. Yeah. But Will is part of that era where it's not really connected to the rest. Will, I, I kind of remember Will. I didn't really read it a lot, but I do remember the black and red suit. And first thing that I thought was, this guy looks like Wonder Man from the Avengers, the 80s Avengers. Yeah. yeah. No. Yeah. Who had a terrible costume at one point. Horrible Green and red. With the, the, the Christmas, jet, Christmas suit, the jetpack belt. What the hell is that? But yeah, that kind of, it, he reminded me of, of Wonder Man. And the upside down star also kind of, kind of remember that. That's kind of the iconic thing where his, his suit has an upside down star. Well, by upside down, I mean, you know, you have this 
traditional I, sense of seeing the pointy head. Isn't it supposed to be like a W? Poor Will. He did last uh, almost four years. Well, I he was probably very good. From what I hear, from what you said, I kind of want to discover more. Yeah, I think it's a good... I think the first 25 issues, for sure, are solid uh, coming-of-age superhero story. But um, I don't think anyone... If you were doing a Starman book today, this isn't what you would go to. You would yeah. go to the legacy. Of course. And I think that's what's most memorable. And whatever could have happened to Will Payton later, the Jack Knight story sort of stamped, became iconic and important and uh, much more interesting. So there you go. All right. So we'll wrap this up here. Yeah. Okay. Let's wrap it up. Okay. We're wrapping it up. We're gonna, not, yeah, we're going to take another break. And when we come back, your discussions on the previous episode and what we call Letters, Letters from, from the, the Front. Batman Nightcast, a thrilling new podcast from the Fire and Water Podcast Network, hosted by Ryan Daly and Chris Franklin. Nightcast chronicles the Cape Crusaders adventures in Batman and Detective Comics after Crisis on Infinite Earths. Highlights from this legendary era include Batman number 400, Legends, Mike Barr and Alan Davis, Batman Year One, Batman Year Two, Max Allen Collins, Ugh. Um, the new Jason Todd, Ugh. Millennium? You're not doing this right. Let me take over. Alan Grant and Norm Brayfogle. Alan Grant from Jurassic Park? Did you hear me say Norm freaking Brayfogle? Oh, yeah. Son of the Demon. The Killing Joke. A Death in the Family. Batman Year 3. A Lonely Place of Dying. Alan Grant, Alan Davis, Max Allen Collins. Why are there so many people named Alan from this era of Batman? The Rise of Tim Drake. Legends of the Dark Knight. And that's just up until 1989. Did anything exciting happen with Batman after that? You'll have to tune in to find out. Batman Nightcast, part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Find it on iTunes and at fireandwaterpodcast.com. Oh, we forgot to mention your favorite issue, when Batman fires Dick Grayson. You want to find another co-host? Letters from the front! Full confession, folks, it's been a long-ass week, and for some reason, uh, I've been spending the past hour editing the wrong listener feedback. I had the real strong sense of deja vu as I was working on uh, our on your comments about... Uh, the Doom Patrol episode, when really we're supposed to be talking about the Power of the Atom number seven episode. That's when I realized we never recorded that listener feedback. So maybe it fits with the uh, Atom to do a smaller listener feedback, but uh, I'm going to be doing this one alone. There's no way I can get Bass to come in here on such short notice and still make our release date. So here we go. All these comments are from the blog, fireandwaterpodcast.com, and you can go there and leave your own comments. I'm going to read the vast majority of what we got, and um, and don't be shy about participating in these discussions, please. So we start with Chris Franklin from The Supermates, who said, uh, I really wanted to like Power of the Atom. DC promoted the hell out of it, comparing it to Man of Steel, Batman Year One, and Perez's Wonder Woman reboot. But it fell way short of those, despite the solid work done by Roger Stern, who has always been one of my favorite comics writers. I think the somewhat sloppy early art of Dwayne Turner was a big chunk of the problem. I dropped out of the series before issue number seven came along. I ended up really loving Graham Nolan on Detective Comics, so now I wish I'd stuck it out. Uh, interesting points on the Silver Age dryness of the DC characters. There is also a homogenized sameness to them in any Silver Age JLA issue. You can swipe the dialogue with the characters and it still works. I always viewed Ray Palmer as Russell Johnson's professor from Gilligan's Island. A likable character, but I don't think I'd want to follow him in solo stories. Alex Ross famously cast Johnson as Reed Richards in Marvels, considering Ray became more and more Reed-like as post-Silver Age creators strove to find a personality for him. Al became either a cocky jet jockey or a wandering loser. Carter, Qatar, became a grumpy, quick-tempered relic. And Ray became the withdrawn scientist. Barry, at least until his rebirth, became the one Silver Age character who just stayed his old, dull self. That was his character, being a lovable square. A great show as always, fellas. Thanks, Chris. Jimmy McGlinchey's next with a comment saying, Excellent episode, Bass and Siskoid. I had just recently read the entire Power of the Atom series. The 18 issues had a good narrative through it, whereby 
Ray was trying to fit back into society after the death of the Cassartans, but was feeling pressure to join up with the CIA or the Justice League, and also dealing with the ramifications of having a secret identity revealed in a biography issued before he went to the Cassartans. His appearance in the Suicide Squad actually dealt with the aftermath of his Power of the Atom series and occurred before he reverted back to being a teen in Zero Hour. There was also a nice special issue after that with lovely art by the late Steve Dillon, where he fought Kronos, I believe. After Identity Crisis, he next turned up in Countdown, where he had found his way into one of the alternate Earths and took over that Ray Palmer's life when he died. I think Ray works better as part of a team. I have the two showcase volumes, and the stories there are pretty bland, with very few memorable villains, apart from Kronos. And in the JLA series, especially after Denny O'Neill took over, he picked up a more humorous tone and comes across better as part of an ensemble cast. I enjoyed your discussion about Ray and where he fits in the DCU, as... I enjoyed yours right uh, this minute. Uh, David S. Gutierrez um, saw The Adam and uh, Gene Loring have never really been given their due. On the topic of Gene Loring's madness, uh, he says, Much like when a family member or friend dies suddenly and we look for clues to their fatal condition, I think we've done this with Gene. Now, she was as well-written or as badly written as any hero love interest. That is, until she stepped out on Ray. He should have stayed in the jungle. Then there's Ange who says, I have never considered myself a fan of the Adam. I don't seek out his material, and maybe that is my loss. Mostly, most of my Adam experience is in the Dick Dillon era of the JLA and team-up books. I have to agree that the Gene Loring relationship is a difficult one which seemed doomed from the start. Ray hid his being the Adam from her until the day before their wedding. Yeah, He feared the information might make Gene have a nervous breakdown. Later in the Super Team family book, there was a search for Gene Loring story where she had a mental breakdown on a planet whose environment could be affected by thought. And then, of course, identity crisis. The whole thing is chilling. I have picked up a couple of Sword of the Atom series from the, from Cheap Bins. The last one, which led into this series, is a horrifying story of a plague which wipes out the people Ray is living with. That one is definitely worth seeking out for the chilling art by Pat Broderick. And first-time commenter Gus Casals says, I read random issues of Power of the Atom back at the time, just getting back into comics in the post-crisis DCU and trying to make sense of it. And it felt dated compared to what was happening in other books, such as, say, The Flash or, of course, JLI. Still, Adam was a natural for the crossover given the shrinking powers of the Imskians, something that gets lost with him fighting the Kuns. Now, I've got to say, Gus, that the Imskians aren't really part of the Alliance. I think they've sort of been subjugated or forced into giving up their shrinking technology or shrinking powers because the only uh, Imskian fighting we've seen is actually shrunked-up Kuns in uh, JLI. But we'll see if they appear again. Off-topic, when you guys started speaking about the French-language reprints, two things happened. First, I was immediately reminded of the Novaro-Spanish reprints I grew up with. Ditto for the bad lettering and the crammed words, because Spanish is longer, which sometimes they fix by doing away with half of the dialogue, something I noticed now reading the English-language originals. The other thing is that after you started doing the French pronunciation of the translated comic titles... Uh, and Tintin, love that, I started to notice your French accents, which I now can't unhear. Well, you're not alone. We can't unhear our own damn accents either. Paul Hicks, still in Australia, still can't get out of there. Please, if anyone's listening to this and who can help Paul and his family, let us know. And we obviously have a line to invaded Australia right now, uh, and we'll use it to help him. Uh, he says, the excitement deficiencies of Power of the Atom led to my curating it out of my collection in the 90s. Every time I reread Suicide Squad, I was irritated by the continuation and resolution of the CIA plot from uh, Power of the Atom. I have since curated it back into my collection. My name is Paul Hicks, and I am a comic completionist. Been there. Diablo Frank says, uh, thanks for cobbling together a promo for my long-shelf Power of the Atom podcast. I usually at least get an itch to work on moribund shows when someone promotes them out of the blue, but I don't see myself dusting that one off again until 2018 at the earliest. I agree with criticisms of the flavorlessness of the Silver Age comics, especially DC ones, especially with Gardner Fox scripts, and especially those on The Atom. If period DC was dry, that book was like sucking on a desiccant. 
Anticipating future discomfort as the strip dove deep into science textbook thrills, I started alternating indexing of the podcast with the comparatively fanciful Silver Age Captain Adam strips by the uptight conservative Joe Gill and the radical objectivist Steve Ditko. Now that Jay and Vance regularly cover those on Throwback Thursday episodes of the Silver and Gold podcast, the podcast would just be me and Ray and Professor Hyatt's goddamn time pool with mega bitch Gene Loring on the side, surely. I'd have a better chance of getting my rocks off elsewhere in the DC universe. Well, Frank, I felt I owed you a uh, makeshift promo because uh, very early on in my um, English language podcasting career, you edited your own uh, Lonely Hearts promo, uh, which you used on the Rolled Spine podcast, a podcast you should all be listening to people, at a time before I made my own promo and you kind of forced me into it. So... Thanks for that. And, and even if a show has sort of pod faded, it is still available. And if people want to um, have more on the Atom, they can find it there. And always in very small chunks. Uh, it's like it's a micro podcast, which goes well with the Atom. Now, let me end on some Facebook likes and shares from Clinton Robison of Coffee and Comics Blog, David Foster, Robert Ward, Abel Padilla, Ryan Daly, Ed Moore, Shag Matthews, Sean Emmons, Billy Lacasse, Daniel Budnick, Longbox Crusade, Tutor Freaks, The Hammer Strikes, Jeffrey Brown, Kyle Benning, and Abba Dabba. And on Twitter, retweets and favorites from Keith G. Baker, Ed Moore, and his many incarnations, Comic Reflections, Film and Water Podcast, King Size Comics, Giant Size Fun Podcast, Coffee and Comics Blog, Swamp Thing, Chuck Rodriguez, Chris Sheehan, and Rolled Spine Podcast. Thank you all. Again, please leave comments at fireandwaterpodcast.com or on the Facebook page for the Fire and Water Podcast family. Or if you're going to leave a message on Twitter, use the hashtag FWPodcasts so we can find it easily. I now hand the podcast back over to a pre-recorded bass. Next time on First Strike the Invasion Podcast, Swamp Thing number 81. I talk like this, eh? It's been a while. My accent is gone, uh, is gotten back there. But I did watch the Starman TV series. Yeah, uh, I probably saw it before I ever saw the movie. Probably. I mean, it's the same. I just remember it from I don't know when it was dark at my grandma's house. I don't know. Starman. <laughs> One dollar seventy-five in Canada.